0: Well, we are in a series called God's Instructions for the Church, and we're in 1 Timothy right now, and we're going to continue into 2 Timothy and Titus as we look at these instructions. Uh, This morning's passage is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 to chapter 5, verse 2, and the instruction we're going to see this morning is this, give this job description to your pastor. Uh, As you're finding your place, uh, please stand, and as you're preparing to hear God's Word, I want to just remind us that these instructions are given to us so that we know how we are to respond to the saving work of Christ. Uh, It dawned on me, I think last week or maybe the week before, that if we're not careful, this series can transform itself into a list of do's and don'ts. It can be a list of instructions for us, but uh, it can seem kind of disassociated or detached from the gospel. But the church exists to respond to what God has done for us in Christ. And so all of these instructions fill out for us how we are to respond to the saving work of Christ. And so God looks down on us, as we saw in that video Uh, And sees a broken world filled with sin and evil and wickedness. He sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us. And then we respond by gathering together and fulfilling these instructions. Uh, So that is how this is about Christ. And that is the context within which all of these instructions need to be understood. So now, taking a look at this morning's passage... The instruction is, and this is the ninth instruction for the church in First Timothy. Give this job description to your pastor. From First Timothy four sixteen all the way to chapter five, verse two. Sorry, six. Thank you. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come... do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. The words of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and your instructions. And we remind ourselves that these instructions help us to know how we ought to Respond to the gospel that has saved us, how we are to respond to the saving work that the Lord Jesus has finished for us by the blood of his cross. And so, mindful of all that you have done for us, we respond to you with these acts of service, with this worship, with this love. Help us to love you as you have loved us, and help us to love one another as you have loved us. As we take a look at your job description for the pastors of your local churches, I pray that you would encourage us to see what it is you have called me, specifically in this season, to be and to do here at South Shore. Uh, And we pray for the pastors that will come after me and the pastors around the world who are fulfilling their responsibility, their call on their life. Please strengthen your pastors all around the world. Strengthen your pastors in this city. Lord, strengthen me, your pastor in this church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, usually... When churches go to hire a pastor, there is a search committee that is formed. And and sometimes the search committee is just the leaders or the elders of the church, but sometimes you get a spread of people from the congregation. And oftentimes the first order of business for this search committee is to figure out um, what kind of man are we looking for. And once they figure that out, and that might take several weeks or months, uh, then they say, well, what do we want this man to do? That may take an additional number of weeks or months. And this is a general statement, but I've seen it in my own life. That wasn't how things happened here when I was um, called, but that's very common. Churches know that there's value in having a pastor, and they know that they need to know who, what kind of man they're looking for, and they, need, they know that they need to know what they want that man to do. Uh, but, you know, so much time could be saved, if we would just look to the scriptures. Because you see, the qualifications for an elder are given very plainly by God through Paul in 1 Timothy 3, verses one to seven. What kind of man are we looking for? Well, we're looking for the kind of man who fulfills, not perfectly, but in earnest, the qualifications given in 1 Timothy 3, one to seven. And we've already talked about that. Well, what do we want our pastor to do and uh, just go online and take a look at all the different job descriptions. I was going to read you some this morning, but for sake of time, I won't. But look them up. Sometimes it's ridiculous what churches expect and desire their pastor to do. Um, just the, the, the number of responsibilities are too many and too broad. But more than that, why not just take God's job description for the pastor? which is given in the text that we've looked at here right now. We see the job description. What it is that God wants the pastors of local churches to do is given to us right here in 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 5, 2. Now, the outline of a pastor's job description could be broken down as follows. In verses 6 and 11, we see the commission, the pastoral commission. So this is what a pastor is charged to do by God, and then, as we'll see, by the elders of every local church. Look at that more. In verses 7 through 9, we see what kind of training is required to be a pastor. In verse 10, we'll see what is the objective, what's the goal. So uh, every occupation has a goal. If you're a house builder, your goal is to build houses. Well, if you're a pastor, what's your goal? What's the fruit of your labor? We see that in verse 10. Verse 10. And then we see for the rest of the passage, the pastoral activity. So in verse 12, we see that the pastor is supposed to set an example to the church. And then in 4.13 to the end of 5.2, we see an amazing thing. We see many exhortations all around one principal function. And that is the ministry of the word of God. God has called pastors and he's so structured the local church to call pastors to focus all of their energies on the ministry of the word of God. We'll take a look at that. Now before we explore each of these subsections I want to just acknowledge what I think probably we're already thinking a little bit. This is kind of a a strange and wonderful experience. a, A sermon that really is all directed at one man in the church predominantly, which is me. So here I am preaching a sermon to myself, and you get to listen in. Now, this is my, my job description. This is what God expects of me. And, and so I'm preaching this sermon, and the direct application doesn't immediately fall to you. It falls to me. Uh, But you get to listen in. And and that's important for a number of reasons. First of all, what I want you to know is that this ought to be the way it is every Sunday. Every Sunday I preach first and foremost to myself. I I have to preach the word of God to myself before I I am any value to you. So this is not that different, in matter of fact. Now, I know that the content, though, is is more geared toward the pastor of the church and and not to you. And so in that way, it is unique. However, there's much in this passage for you. Uh, Let me begin with, it's important for you to know what God has called your pastor to be and to do. It's important that you know, what is God's expectation for my pastor before you start coming up with your own list of expectations? So, so this puts us all on the same page. Uh, my goal is to faithfully execute the word of God and then to preach it. And, and same should be your goal. And so this allows us to set expectations for me. More than that, uh, this applies to all of us. There are principles here that are not just true of the pastor. And if you go back to 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7, qualifications for an elder, with the exception of able to teach, all of those qualifications for an elder are just a picture of what a mature Christian looks like. And so we can take that passage. Yeah, those are qualifications for an elder, but the principles are true for all Christians. We all ought to be growing in those ways. Same is true here. Uh, We're going to see that the pastor is to train himself in godliness, so are you. Train yourself in godliness. We're going to find out that the pastor is supposed to set an example for the other believers. The same is true for you. The goal is that each and every one of us would diligently study the scriptures, apply the scriptures, and then set an example to everyone. We're going to find out that the pastor is to devote himself to the scriptures and the ministry of the word. Well, same is true for you. Perhaps not in exactly the same way, and not vocationally, but we're all supposed to be a people of the book. So, So although this is my job description, it is true for all of us in principle. Uh, and, of course, there are the elders of the church. That so This job description falls primarily to me. And so we're going to see this morning a distinction within the plurality of elders. So God calls a group of men to, to govern and to teach and to oversee the church together. But there are distinctions within that plurality of elders. And we see that, for example, in chapter 5, verse 17. I believe it's verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That group treats the elders as a group, and then look at this, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In other words, especially your vocational pastors. So we share this in common, but then there is something distinct about the teaching elder, the preaching elder, which we call a pastor. So moving forward. Oh, there's one other reason. Sorry, before we go on. If the Lord ever calls you to another city, Look at, Think of Dan and Krista Brown, for example. It's helpful. I hope that we can equip you here with the right expectations so that when you're going to look for a church, you, you begin to ask, is the pastor devoted to this job description? Because you want to find a church, if you're ever called to a different city, that, that upholds the word of God and the pastor knows what his job is before God because he's going to have to give an account of himself before Christ at the end. In the strictest sense, this is a last little preamble before we get into looking at these sections. Timothy was not a pastor in the same way that I'm a pastor. He's called an apostolic delegate or a, a manager of the house. I'm not an apostolic delegate. Paul. I haven't spoken to Paul and he hasn't entrusted me to oversee the church as if I were an apostle. I'm a pastor. However, this passage applies more to, to more than just apostolic delegates. It applies to those who take the apostolic teaching, which is the New Testament, and then delivers that with authority. And the authority is not in me. It's in Christ and his word, the apostolic teaching. And delivers that word to the church. So in that sense, there's not that much difference. Even though we're in a different era of the church... My responsibility is the exact same as Timothy's responsibility was some 2,000 years ago in Ephesus. To deliver the apostolic teaching unaltered with authority. And so we see that. So both me and Timothy must submit to a council of elders. Both me and Timothy must submit ourselves to the word of God. Both me and Timothy must shepherd the church. Both me and Timothy must participate within the church within a plurality of elders. So there's much The same. Having said all that, let's take a look at what is the pastor's job description. So we begin with the pastoral commission in verses 6 and 11. Take a look there. Verse 6 to begin. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now go down and take a look uh, at verse 11, command and teach these things. So it ties these two verses together is the word these things. These things. So in verse 6, we're told, if you put these things before the brothers then you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. You'll be executing your responsibility as a pastor. And and then in verse 11, it says, command and teach these things, which is basically a repetition in different words of verse 6. And so that's the commission. When when a church commissions a pastor, what they're saying to the pastor is, put these things before the church. What are these things? In the direct context, we might suggest that these things are 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5. This exhortation that we looked at last week to reject false teaching. So in contrast to false teaching, put the truth before the brothers. But if, if it's about that, then these things must be a little bit more broad, and it probably is including the whole letter. What, what Paul is thinking there is, if you put this letter before the brothers then you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus doing the things that you want. Now, if if he is a good servant of Christ Jesus by putting the letter of 1 Timothy before the brothers, that is, before the church, in principle, then, we can expand that to say, if you put not just one book of God's word before the brothers, you're a good servant of Christ Jesus, but you put the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God, from Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation, before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And we're going to see that 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 really sets the, the trajectory for what God's expectation for a pastor is. I have one major expectation of a pastor, says God. Put my word before the brothers, Don't put your own words before the brothers. Don't don't come up with something that you think is slick and catchy. Don't don't tickle ears, which we're going to see when we get into 2 Timothy. Uh, Don't just be a motivational speaker. Don't use my pulpit, says Christ, as your own bully pulpit. Don't ride your own hobby horses. Put these things. Put the word of God before the brothers. That's what pastors are to do. Now what, are, what about brothers? Is that just just put, put these things before the men in the church? No. In fact, the, the Greek word uh, there is about siblings. So whenever you have a, a, a noun that is in the plural, you always use the masculine form of that noun. And so when, when you have brothers plural, what is being said is put this before the brothers and sisters. Put these things, the word of God, before all of my church. And we know that to be absolutely true because back in 1 Timothy 2.11 it says, Let the women learn. So this would be a massive contradiction if we interpreted brothers very uh, strictly and exclusively and limited to the men. This is about, put this before the brothers and sisters. And the Greek word is masculine plural, which includes both masculine and feminine. And that's not just for the word brothers, but anything. Any plural is always that way, if you're including both men and women. And you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. There's nothing that drives me more than my desire to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So dearly do I want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus that I am willing to offend if that offense is not coming from me, but from these things, the Word of God. See, pastors are not called to write the Scriptures, Pastors are called to preach the scriptures. Pastors are called to explain the scriptures, not to write them, not to edit them, but to present the scriptures. Now, now there is not a pastor on Earth that's going to bat a thousand. There's not a pastor on Earth that is never going to err. And really all that we can hope for, all that you can really expect of me is that I do my best. That I care to be faithful to the word of God. That, I, that more than anything, I want to be accurate. And when I come to a place of conviction with the help of the elders of this church, then my responsibility before God is to stand up here and say, this is what we understand God to be saying. And more than being loved by men and women, I want to come to the end of my days, and i 'm going to meet the Lord Jesus, and I know james three one and I know hebrews thirteen seventeen Not many of you should desire to be teachers, my brothers, because teachers are going to be judged with greater strictness it's James three one hebrews thirteen seventeen says that the, the shepherds of the church, the elders are keeping oversight over your souls and they will have to give an account to Christ for how they manage that. So what drives me more than anything is I want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And if you ever doubt that, please come and talk to me. We're not always going to agree, but my hope is that you'll never doubt my desire to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. That's my agenda. That's what I desire to do. We're told that if we put the word of God unedited before the church, we'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words that you have followed. And this really sets sets us up for where we're going, that I have to be trained in the word, I need to understand the word, I have to read it, I have to think about it, I need to wrestle with it, but then I have to follow it. Before I can stand in the pulpit, and I can't follow it perfectly, but I have to at least say, I have to set my heart to, to desire to follow the word of God. So that's the pastoral commission, and that you should expect nothing less from your pastor, from me or any future pastor, whether in this church or a different church, that you would have. Now, pastors also need to be trained. You you don't just stand up one day as a pastor over Christ's church. So what does the training look like? Take a look at verses 7 through 9. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now there's some debate. Let's start at the end. There's some debate about this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Does that go with verse 8 or with verse 10? There's some debate. There's not agreement. I think it makes most sense to go with uh, verse 8. Because that looks like a saying, right? Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, So there's sort of like a jingle or a proverb. Yeah, worry about your body, eat well, exercise, but more than that, train in godliness. You'll see there in verse 7, it starts with this negative exhortation, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And I think what 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 we have to keep in mind as far as pastoral training is is concerned, there's so many books out there. Uh, There's so many rabbit trails and streams of knowledge that we could go down. And and what God is saying to the pastors, you don't have time to read all of those things. You have a limited amount of time. What I want you to do is focus in on the good stuff. Now, there may be times where I have to read an irreverent silly myth so I can refute it. But even there, the purpose is not so that I can entertain it, but so that I can understand it enough to debunk it, and to help you through it. Time is limited. Don't waste your time learning about things that are not true. Now, this is, this is good advice for all of us, but it's essential for a pastor. Now, it is easy because, remember, the training for a pastor never ends. It's not like I went to seminary and now my training is over. I'm always training. Do you know, it's so easy in my continual training to be derailed in the life of the church having to dialogue about irreverent, silly myths. And and I think what this says is, look, you're going to have to refute bad doctrine, but there comes a point where you just can't talk about it anymore. Uh, And and this is where, as a pastor, we have to say, no, this case is closed. We don't hold to that position here. And we need to move on. I think that's helpful for all of us to know. There's going to come a time when uh, perhaps there's a a theological disagreement where the elders and and me as your pastor is just going to have to say, look, whether it's in the extreme, an irreverent, silly myth, or or just that's just not the the tack we're taking. That's not the conviction that we hold here. And it's time for us to move on as a church because we don't have time. Gotta move forward, uh, learning and and applying the word of God and teaching the word of God. So that's the negative side. On the positive side, train yourself for godliness. Well, how do we do this? Let me just simplify it by reading for you Ezra seven ten. Ezra seven ten. Just listen. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. How do I, how do we train ourselves in godliness? We set our hearts to studying the word of God. And then we do it. And then we teach it. That's what training in godliness is. And that, that takes time. Uh, and I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, that you give me time here to study the Word of God. Not every pastor is as privileged as I am. You, you value the Word of God, and you give me time to read the Word of God, to study the Word of God, to read books about the Word of God. And, and I am so thankful to be in a church like this church. You give me that time to do that. How important is it that pastors are reading the Word of God, doing the Word of God, and then teaching the Word of God? Well, in verses 8 and 9, we see that it is eternally valuable. Bodily training is of some value. So, you know, exercise, eat right. That's great. It holds promise for the present life. Or, sorry, uh, but godliness is of value in every way. So if bodily training is of some value, training in godliness, training in the Word of God, is eternally valuable. Because it's valuable both for this life, so we can conform ourselves to the the life of Christ, the teachings of Christ, to be uh, honoring to Him. But it's also valuable for the life to come. The things that we learn in this life, have they pay eternal dividends. And if you're a businessman or a businesswoman, think about this. What is the wisest investment? The wisest investment is the one that gives the greatest return. There's no greater investment than training in godliness. You can take the principle of training physically, training your body. That is of some value. There's some return on that investment. Greater health. Greater standard of living. It's limited, though. Now, let me apply that same thing to to business, Investing in good business has some benefit. You might reap a profit this year, which will raise your standard of living. You can invest more in the kingdom. That's true. But even, even seeking a monetary profit is nothing compared to the, to the uh, return on your investment if you train in righteousness. So training in righteousness must be the goal of every pastor and every Christian. So that's the training. It's pretty simple, right? And so we go to seminary so we can learn the word of God. And then after that, we continue to read the word of God and read good books and practice what we preach. What's the objective? I said in the introduction that that, um, if you're a house builder, the objective is clear. You build houses. You know, there's so many times where I just wish that I had a house I could look at and say, I built that. Like I planned it. And I built it. It's a lot harder to look out at you and say, I, I built that. Well, what are we building? Are we seeing any progress? If you want to be an encouragement to me or to, to any pastor, uh, just grow in godliness. Grow in godliness. There's no greater encouragement than to receive instruction, to, to embrace that instruction, to be teachable. And to grow in godliness. There's nothing greater than if in five, 10 years we could look around and say, wow, we've changed. So, what is the pastoral objective? What are we trying to do? Look at verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive. The NRSV says struggle, and I like that. But it's this striving is like what uh, Jacob and Esau did in the womb, they wrestling with each other. It's to this end godliness that we pastors this is about pastors first and then all of us but in the pastoral uh, uh, job description why why are we doing what we're doing you go to pastor's conferences and you're like i don't know why am i giving my life to this why do we work so hard why do we wrestle with people why do we wrestle with the word of god why do we wrestle with our own sinful tendencies what what's the point of all of this well, it's because we have our hopes set on the living God. The pastor always has to keep in mind that, oh, yeah, that's God, and this is who he is and what he's done for us. He's the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. I always think it's kind of funny talking about how hard I work as a pastor. I have soft hands. Uh Compared to many of you, I don't work hard, at least not in that sense. I sit a lot. I drink a lot of coffee and tea and eat a lot of things when I come and see people and talk to people. A lot of lunch meetings. It doesn't seem like hard work. You're, you're praying, you're reading, you're sitting, you're eating. Like, Can you remind me again how that's hard work? So, so compared to a lot of you, uh, I, physically I'm not toiling The the hard work comes in that spiritual realm, right? That idea that I'm wrestling with the word of God. I want to get it right. It takes a lot of work. I'm wrestling with myself. I'm looking at this, I'm like, "Mm, I got to preach that on Sunday, whatever the text is. How am I doing And then I'm wrestling with you. How are they gonna receive this? And, and then, depending on the moment, depending on the interaction, let's just be honest, sometimes we wrestle, right? It's hard work. Do you know what, it robs pastors of sleep. It robs me of sleep, especially when I'm wrestling with you. I don't wanna wrestle with the church. Not, not in a negative way. I want us to wrestle together with the word of God. That's what makes it hard work. And, you know, of all the ways that Paul was uh, persecuted and suffered, you know, he said, More than any of this, I have anxiety every day for the churches. I feel that. I care about you. I love you. I care about your spiritual well being, I, I care about your progress, I care about your commitment. That's what makes this hard work. And then, on top of all of that, uh, you know, there's this pesky demon named Satan who just always wants to get the leaders of the church down. We wrestle with the demonic world on behalf of the church. But we do this because we know that the, we, there's a God in heaven. We know that He's a saving God, but we know that He only saves those who believe. So I do all of this for the sake of the elect. For the sake of you. I don't take for granted that you're ready to meet Christ. So I wrestle with the word of God. I wrestle with myself. I wrestle with you. I wrestle with the demonic world. Because I want every one of us to make it. I want every one of us in the new heavens and the new earth. I want every one of us to come through the final judgment. I want you to be ready to meet Christ. That's why we toil and strive, because we know there's a God in heaven. We know he's a saving God, but we know he only saves those who believe. Which brings us to the end, which is most of the verses. So what are pastors supposed to do? If, if this is what we've been commissioned, and this is what our training is to be, and this is what our objective is, well, how do we make it happen? What do we do? Well, there's two things. Our pastoral activity is divided into two parts. In verse 12, we see that we must set an example to the church as pastors. And then, secondly, that we must give ourselves wholeheartedly to the ministry of the Word of God. We must teach you the Bible. You know, I, as a man, have no authority. I have none. I can't just tell you what to do. I have no authority, but I must preach with authority. You know why? Because the authority is not intrinsic to me. The authority is intrinsic to the word of God. And if I am doing my job, I am laying these things before you, and these things have the authority of God himself. So I I don't want to lord myself over you, but I do want to put us all under the authority of the word of God, myself included. And so, uh, can I just get up here and tell you what I think? No. Now, however, I want to I just preface that by saying there are times when I might not be sure, or there are times when this is a secondary matter, or there are times where there's great debate in the church. I think it's helpful for you, for me to be honest about those things. I, I'm not quite sure what this means. Uh, and in fact, it's not just me. Hardly anybody knows what this means, but this is my best attempt at it. Or there's a couple of views on this. So we want to do that. But when, when I and the elders are absolutely certain this is what the word of God says, I, I, I can't tell you that this is optional. And I can't skip over a half a verse because it makes us feel uncomfortable. So let's start with verse 12, setting the believers an example. Verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He starts there by saying, let no one despise your youth. Anyone know how old Timothy probably was? He was about my age, late 30s. We don't know that for sure, but just piecing it together. I don't have time to sort of tell you how we come to that conclusion, but most commentators agree. He's late 30s. Not quite 40 probably, but definitely not young 30s. Let no one despise your youth. Now, that's not normally considered youth, late 30s. Let me just give you an example. The leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and the leader of the NDP Party of Canada were both born the same year I was. In the next election, they're running for prime minister. So, They're obviously old enough to exercise some authority, as am I. I'm older than Jesus was when he ascended into heaven. So I'm not young, but, and here's the point, there are some in this congregation that are old enough to be my mom and dad. How do you lead people who are older than you? It's not right. For a younger person to just put himself or herself over an older person. And we're going to see how Timothy ends this in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So, how do younger men, it doesn't matter if you're uh, 38 or 45 or 50, how do younger men lead with authority men and women who are older than them? Well, they do it by setting an example. And we're told they set an example in uh, take a look there in verse twelve, in uh, in speech. I have to be careful what I say, but the things I say shouldn't. Nobody should be able to say, "Oh, he's saying that because he's young, or because he's ungodly." In my conduct, the way that I live my life, in love, you know, one thing that age doesn't give any benefit to is the ability to love the way God loves. So. Whether you're 80 or 90, you may not yet have learned how to love. So you can learn that from a, a younger man in faith and in purity. So by setting an example, older members of the church can look to the pastor and say, well, you know, there's something to be learned there. More than that, oh, so before I transition, um, Obviously, this doesn't mean that the pastor can be perfect. And there's something that the school of hard knocks teaches in all of these areas. So I will be deficient always, but as a man in my late 30s, I'm deficient compared to a man in his 60s in the, in the school of life. That's just a reality. So we just have to acknowledge that. Nevertheless, Christ calls pastors to lead by example even in all of our frailty and neediness. And perhaps the greatest example that I can set for this church is by demonstrating my need for God's grace and forgiveness. Very few things as deadly as a self-righteous pastor. So if I can lead by example in any way, I hope that it is that you see in me an awareness that every day I need the grace of God. Sometimes pastors can lead by showing others how to extend forgiveness and grace. Hopefully I can, by demonstration, demonstrate what it means to extend mercy and love and grace to others. All the time... However imperfectly, a pastor must demonstrate his devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. May there never be a day where you wonder, do I love the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I devoted to him? I'll sin. I'm gonna let you down. But in my sin, I hope you will see that I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. Which brings us to The second activity of pastors, which is to teach the Word of God. If I'm not setting an example in all of these ways, I I ought not stand in this pulpit. But when I do stand in this pulpit, and when I am gathered with you at, at your dinner table, or whether we're in the hallway, or wherever we are, there must be a devotion by your pastor to teach the Word of God. Take a look at verses 13, right down to the end of ver, ver, chapter 5, verse 2. Until I come. Pause there, sorry. This is about Paul coming to Ephesus. I don't know this to be true. Okay, so there's an example. But isn't it interesting that although the original context, this is about Paul, if you just zoom out, what if you put that in the lips of Jesus? Jesus. Until I come. Until I come, says Paul to Timothy, or Jesus to the church, devote yourself, and now he's talking to the pastor, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect... The gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. But do not rebuke an older man. Encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. In all purity. Now do you see the list of exhortations here? Devote yourself. What does it mean to devote yourself? Like give everything you have to this. Do not neglect. Practice. Immerse yourself. Keep a close watch. Persist. You see, what Paul is doing there is he's piling these, these very strong words on top of each other. He's trying to make a point. Like, this is not something that I recommend you do. Because what we're going to see is that every one of these exhortations goes back to the ministry of the word. It's not as though he has a job description of four or five things. He's saying, What I want you to do is, is to read the word of God, learn it, do the word of God, and then teach it. That's what a pastor is to do. That, that's the job description of a pastor. Is that what you thought the job description of a pastor was? Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. To exhortation. What that means is what, after you read the Scripture, explain it. Teach it. Do not neglect, neglect the gift you have. What's the gift that Timothy had? Teaching. Do not neglect teaching. Uh, you're going to get busy in pastoral ministry, and there's going to be people in the church that want you over here doing this. And there's going to be groups that want you over here doing that. And, and before you know it, your week is gone, and have you neglected the gift? Teaching. Don't do that. Don't neglect teaching. Let me just tell you, and, and not so much here at South Shore, but you know how easy it is for churches to pull their pastors away from what God has called them to do? Don't neglect this ministry of the word. And in fact, practice it. The, the idea of practice is repetition, right? Over and over and over again. I'm not sure if I've shared this illustration with you yet. I shared it a few times uh, in Woodstock Uh, But there was a world-class pianist that came and was a part of our church for two months. She was on tour in southwestern Ontario. She played at the White House. She played all over the world. She was excellent. And she would come into the church every day for two months. And I would be in my office studying, and she would play the same songs for five hours. Like, not the same song, but the same repertoire, or basically the concert, several times. And it was like the fifth week, and I started thinking to myself, why is she like just playing the same she's clearly mastered that song. Then I was thinking about this passage, you got to practice these things. You know, even your pastors will forget the word of God if they're not immersed in it, if they're neglecting their gift. And, and so I'm so thankful to be at South Shore where you give me the time to practice to stay familiar with the word of God. In fact, Paul goes on, immerse yourself in them. In what? Well, in the public reading of Scripture and exhortation, teaching, and the gift that you have. Keep a close watch. On what? On yourself, on your behavior. Well, how do you know if your behavior is good and bad? And your teaching. And then persist in this. You see, it's all about the Word of God. The biblical job description of a pastor is to shepherd the sheep. Now, I know, I don't know when this happened or why this happened, but somewhere along the line, the idea of, the metaphor of a shepherd became sort of visitation. And I, I think I need to do visitation. I need to, a shepherd needs to smell like the sheep. I like that. It's true. We need to spend time with the sheep. But when I think of a shepherd, the first thing that co- does not come to mind to me is a shepherd that's sort of sitting down with the sheep and just sort of stroking them, petting them, oh, I, caressing them. That's, that's not really what comes to my mind when I think of a shepherd. What did Jesus say to, to Peter? Feed my sheep. What does that mean? It, it means devote yourself to the Word of God, practice the Word of God, teach the Word of God, Uh, you are being fed by your shepherd when your shepherd lays these things before you and explains them to you and exhorts you in them and rebukes you when you're not following in the way, that is feeding sheep, that's the primary work of a shepherd. Now the other major thing that a shepherd needs to do is protect the sheep from wolves and threats. And so, a shepherd has to constantly be on guard at what are the threats. And they're often, most, most normally, doctrinal threats. And so, if I'm going to be a shepherd over this church, 90% of my time has to be given to the ministry of the word. Because that's what God has called me to do. And I also need to smell like the sheep. For, uh, then we get into chapter 5. And, and I think this is a really important qualification to everything from verses 13 to the end of chapter 4. Because there's these, these strong exhortations for pastoral ministry to teach the word. And, and it runs the risk of a pastor getting up here and saying, Okay, everybody, open your textbooks. I'm going to tell you how you ought to behave this week. right?" And, and it can become this very domineering position. Maybe you've experienced a pastor that's domineering. That's what verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 are so important to, to sort of balance and qualify. While you're doing this, says Paul to Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, at least not harshly. You may need to rebuke him, but you do it as you would your own father very carefully, with respect, with honor. And younger men, you don't domineer over them either, but you care for them as you would a brother. You, you pull aside the younger men and you say, oh, brother, look, like, we just got to walk through this together, right? Take a look at the word of God with me. And then, you know, you might have to ratchet it up if there's a lot of resistance, but you want to you treat the people in the church as your own family, older women as, as mothers. How, how would you instruct your mother? Carefully. Gently, with love and respect and honor. And younger women, with all purity. And this is important. As as a younger man, you've got to be very careful to have strong boundaries. And you don't just involve yourself in the life of another man's wife. Even in the role of pastor. So very important qualifications. In summary then. Pastors are commissioned to put the word of God before the congregation. Pastors are to be trained in godliness by learning the Word, by doing the Word, and then by teaching the Word. Pastors are to work hard, to toil and strive for godliness in their own lives and godliness in the church that they're, that they're overseeing. And, and their goal must always be Not their own ego, not their own aggrandizement, but the salvation of all. The goal has to be, we are here in the wilderness and we've got to get there, the eternal promised land. And we don't want to lose anyone on the way. So everything that a pastor does has to be with that in mind. Pastors are to lead by example. Pastors are to have... A determined and undistracted devotion to the ministry of the word above all other activities. It's not that this is all we do. And you have to understand, too, that I, in addition to being the pastor, I share the responsibilities uh, within the Council of Elders. And so I must be in your life as an elder. Uh, and, and then not only as an elder, but we have certain responsibilities to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So all of those things are true of me as they're true of you. We ought to be in one another's life. But as a pastor, I need to vocationally devote myself to the ministry of the word. And pastors are to minister to the church as a son and a brother in Christ. Not as a dictator, not as a governor, not as a, uh, someone who lords it over, but a son and a brother in Christ who shepherds under the Lord Jesus. I want to thank you for encouraging me in this job description. Please pray for me. Pray uh, that I will be well positioned to give an account to my Lord and my Savior at the end of my days. I so desperately want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And I will pray for you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for this job description. I thank you for this church. I pray that you would help us to be devoted to your scriptures. I pray that we would all make it through the final judgment to the new heavens and new earth, raised in glory, seated with Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.